If you missed the last episode of Catalyst, go back and listen. If you're caught up, here's where we left off. I don't think ever that we dealt with a more life and death issue than this. And it's not an understatement to say that the eyes of Texas are upon us. And I don't know how you predict evil. We need to get everybody involved. Every person has got to be aware of their surroundings and be able to and willing to report suspicious activity when they see it. We certainly have mechanisms in, in place to receive those suspicious activity reports and act on those. But obviously, the more resources we can get, the better. It exists. It's not being utilized as it should be. And uh, we as policymakers need to implement policies that require this type of communication. If we can prevent one more father from not being murdered in front of his children, if we can prevent one more mother and father from burying their child, isn't this worth all of our efforts? June 22, 1980 was a big day for the First Baptist Church in Dangerfield, Texas. The small town congregation was excited to welcome a new pastor that Sunday, and the orange brick sanctuary with its brightly colored stained glass windows was full, around 300 people. When we walked in, we walked all the way to the front because the church was packed, and I couldn't find a seat. Cheryl Hendrick had left her 18-month-old daughter in the church nursery and was then trying to corral her other two children, Gina and Jeff. Jeff was a little boy, four and a half. I could put his shoes on and one would be off. My mother always said she dreaded to see Jeff come because he was climbing the ceilings. Gina spotted her best friend from her kindergarten class on the back row. She looked at me and I said, it's okay. So she went, we sat on the back pew, uh, the usher's pew, because I thought if this is not okay, they can find us a seat. That was the least of the worries so far that morning. The new pastor called in sick at the last minute, so the associate pastor had to fill in. It was being broadcast, the church service was being broadcast. That's Judy Pollan. She taught Sunday school back then, and her husband Gary was a deacon. Nobody even thought about church security on that day. That was just an unknown. And so we were in the midst of singing. He come through the doors, screamed out, this is war. All of a sudden, I heard pop, 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 like firecrackers. That was the most helpless feeling I have ever had in my life. When you're in a room with a gunman and you got nothing. Our pastor, associate pastor, he told people, get down, get down. Everybody, please sit down. I got down and got up under the pew. Things happened so fast, I left Jeff sitting here. He got down and said, Mama? And I thought, oh, help. And I grabbed him, and I put him under me as much as I could because I knew they were still shooting. If y'all follow me, you coming? James Long was sitting with his parents on the opposite side of the church from Cheryl. I can turn the light on, too if you need it. He took us inside and walked us through what happened next. He had a, a steel helmet on and he had a flak jacket. You know, he had, had a bulletproof vest on. He, he looked like a, a military person. I knew right away that, that was him. And he was your high school teacher? He was a high school math teacher. Very intelligent man. Uh, maybe too intelligent. Did you ever suspect that he would be violent like this? 
I don't know that I suspected it, but I was not surprised at it. He was in some trouble, though, at that point. Yes, yes. His daughter had finally uh, pressed charges uh, for sexual assault. They were supposed to start uh, the trial the next day on a Monday morning. He was desperate. He didn't want to face those charges. Gary told me it was Al King. And it just made you physically ill because I'd been on the grand jury that indicted him. And I thought, oh no, is this what caused this? A year earlier, Judy was summoned to serve on a grand jury, considering incest allegations coming from a 21-year-old woman against her own father, that same high school math teacher, Al King. I remember when the district attorney came in there, he said, now this next case is really unusual, and it's going to be very graphic and I just want you all to get prepared for it. Well, I just couldn't imagine. And then they brought uh, uh, the King children in there, and they started telling us what he had done. It was totally unimaginable what a father would do to a daughter. By the time that was testimony was over, when I came home that day, I think I remember asking Gary, are all the doors locked, all the windows, everything? I had the most uneasy feeling about that. Of course, he was arrested. He got out on bail. We had heard that perhaps one of the reasons he targeted the First Baptist Church was because people there weren't willing to be character witnesses. There were several, several school people in that church that day including Judy, a former Dangerfield teacher and superintendent. He taught at the high school and I was teaching at the high school. And uh, I knew his wife, Gretchen, she taught at the junior high. So I knew their, both their children. Did anything ever seem off to you about him? Everything seemed off about him. He uh, just had a great deal of anger. He was uh, very arrogant. He was, uh, he was a know-it-all. He was extremely high-tempered, and he had no patience at all for slower students. He was really uh, mad about ridiculing students if they did not know the answers to a math question. He'd ridicule them, make fun of them. And so uh, there were a lot of complaints on him. There were some things, like when he was a bus driver, he ran over a dog one day, and we just there, there was a some trouble over that. And when people have that kind of anger, it comes to the point where they cannot control it. I was afraid he'd do something. I didn't, I, of course, it never entered my mind he would do something so radical. But I felt uneasy because he was such a loose cannon. You just simply didn't know what he might do. The ushers interrupted him. Gene Gandy was sitting right here on the end, and I saw him go to the ground, go to the floor. That's when I knew that those were real bullets. And then Jack Dean reached around to try to grab 
the rifle, and when he shot again, he blew off uh, the fingers uh, of Jack Dean. And I also believe that it was during that time one of those bullets went over and caught young Gina Lynham in the back of her head. You think a man could have that much hate in his heart to go into a, a group of innocent people and uh, they just start shooting and to kill a, a little girl. A bullet got her right in the temple and it come out between her eyes. And I looked over there and I saw Gina's feet, but she wasn't moving. And I got up and ran over there to her and I shook her. And um, I was patting her, telling her it was gonna be okay. But when I looked under the bench, I saw her brains. And I knew it wasn't gonna be okay. Fortunately, thank the Lord that Chris Hall jumped on his back before he could shoot any more than he did. Chris Hall had been sitting at the back running the sound system that day. He was also one of Al King's former students. They broke through the, first, the set of doors, right? You know, they entered the auditorium. They went through those big doors, wrestling, hit the floor. And Al King pulled out a 38 and brought her around and started shooting at Chris and shot twice. But you can see where the plaster has been. It doesn't match the texture and everything. Right here is where one of the bullet holes were. Shot at him there and one more spot over that way. Chris being, the, he was a great, great running back at Dangerfield on one of the state championship teams and athletic. He managed to roll down the stairs, the steep stairs going into the basement, and he was never hit. Red McDaniel and Kenneth Truett, two giants of men, the, the two biggest men in the church, headed down the aisle. I gave them time to head toward him. But they both had charged towards the back, and their momentum carried them out and actually busted the uh, two exterior doors. Red McDaniel grabbed him in a bear hug and he shot Red five or six times while all that, he didn't turn loose of him. He never turned loose. And then Kenneth was right behind him. When, when they hit the ground outside, the pistol bounced, you know, a few feet away. Kenneth dove dove on him, but just before he got there, he was able to grab a gun and shoot Kenneth. Mr. Truett was laying right here, and Red McDaniel was, was laying over there, and Red never opened his eyes, never said, you know, a word. And then I, I talked to Kenneth Truett, asked him was there anything that I could do, which obviously I knew there wasn't. I did take my uh, coat off and put under his head and he like I say uh, he called me junior and he just he just kept saying junior it hurts and I said uh, we're, we're going to do what we can to get you out to the hospital as quick as possible he didn't make it to the hospital so five people were killed and ten more wounded without the heroism of those men 
we were all sitting ducks. That's the thing that will stay with me till the day I die, that, that those men laid down their lives for us. And just such a wonderful example of good, such terrible example of evil. Al King got up and took off running around and went towards the fire station. When I heard a woman scream, he's down, he's down, he shot himself. And I ran over, of course, windows looking down, looked down on the street there and he was laying in the street. You know, I really feel like he probably fell and it just accidentally, I don't think he shot himself in the head on purpose. But God and him, the only ones that know the answer to that. And while the attack was over, the Dangerfield community would still have something awful to face. That gunshot wound to the head didn't kill Al King. And once he recovered, survivors would have to relive that day in court. Next time. Forty-six-year-old Alvin Lee King III is charged with the murders and is recovering at a Galveston, Texas hospital. Doctors found King competent to stand trial, so they sent him back here to Morris County. We were so afraid that he would get off with insanity. I was just scared to death that he was going to somehow come back. Catalyst is reported, produced, and edited by me, Josh Hinkle, along with David Barrere, Ben Freeberg, and Arzo Dost. Digital support for this episode comes from Dax Dobbs, Eric Henriksen, Matt Mitchell, Robert Sims, and Kate Winkle. KXAN's news director is Chad Cross, and its vice president and general manager is Eric Glassberg. Mm -hmm.